We're in Ephesians 4 because we are in the midst of a series, the title of which is on the screen behind me, Your Place in God's Plan. We've seen over many several months now that the book of Ephesians unfolds God's eternal plan and then focuses in on God's work in our lives individually through the Lord Jesus Christ, and thus the title, Your Place in God's Plan. In 2007, Science Magazine published the results of a study that was designed to determine who talks more, men or women. And here were their findings. Women are generally assumed to be more talkative than men. Data were analyzed from 396 participants who wore a voice recorder that sampled ambient sounds for several days. Participants' daily word use was extrapolated from the number of recorded words. And women and men both spoke about 16,000 words per day. Now, that may surprise you that both were about the same. And perhaps the biggest surprise is the number, the sheer volume of words that we speak in an individual day, 16,000. Now, at 16,000 words a day, and allowing that you sleep for perhaps six hours, then we speak 900 words each hour. Now, if you've been up for an hour, and for some of you that looks like that may be a stretch, but, but if you've been up for an hour, then on average you've done that already. Now, you may not be a, a morning person, so you're just getting warmed up which means that somebody's in for an avalanche after you get your first cup of coffee in cafe community. 16,000 words every day, 900 words every hour. If you live to be 75, and let's say you are speaking fluently for 70 of those, you'll have been speaking for 25,550 days. At 16,000 words a day, you will have spoken... 408,800,000 words. 408,800,000 words. Now consider this. This is Jesus speaking. Every person will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. 408,800,000. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says the Greek word argos that's translated careless refers to words that might be thought insignificant except for the fact that they reveal what's in the heart. Jesus is saying that every spoken word reflects the heart's overflow and those words are known to God. Therefore, words are of critical importance. Now, I can help you reduce your judgment day quota by at least half. Simply if you'll do this. That would eliminate about half of our vocabulary, wouldn't it? And you see, the Bible has a lot to say about our mouths, about our tongues, about our speech, about our words. 
the way we speak is clearly very important to God. And so the question for you then is, do you want to speak in a way that pleases God? If so, it's very important for us to have times like this where we stop talking and we listen to what God has to say. And look at chapter 4 and verse 29 of Ephesians. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's ask our God to help us as we look at His very significant words. Father, we ask for your help as we look into your words and consider this extremely important matter to you and therefore should be to us, the way we use the gift that you have given to us of communication through words. Help us to see how very important that is to you. Help us to see how crucial it is to our interaction with all that you place in our spheres of influence. May we leave this place better equipped to bring honor and glory to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, if you've been with us for these many months through the book of Ephesians, you know or should know the uh, structure of the book. But I want to remind you as briefly as I can because we have had, you may, you, most of you know, an interlude for the last several weeks. We've had a mini-series based off the last phrase of verse 28 in Ephesians 4 that says that we should try to develop margin in our lives in order to be able to have to give to those that are in need. And so we had a series called Full Service. But now we return to our passage-by-passage passage look at the book of Ephesians. And I remind you of how Paul, who wrote this, has laid out this book, six chapters, the first three of which give us our identity in Christ, going all the way back in chapter 1 to eternity past and God's determining what he is going to do in Christ and who is he, it is he's going to bring to Christ. And it tells us there of the work of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. We come to chapter 2 and we're told about our miserable and hopeless condition outside of Christ, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But verse 4 tells us of chapter 2, But God, who is rich in mercy, has made you alive. Even while you were dead in your transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And we're told that this God, who has saved us, rescued us, delivered us through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, has work for us to do. We have a place in His plan. And so in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, we're told that we were created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Bible goes on to tell us that this work is going to be done through the vehicle of something called the church, this marvelous new community that God is creating. So beginning in chapter 2 and verse 11, we're told about God tearing down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile and making one new man, one new community, unified in Jesus Christ, in the body of Christ, his church. And chapter 3 tells us the central place that the church has in God achieving his glory in his world. And chapter 3 ends 
with a doxology, a praise to God. And it says in verse 21, To Him be glory in the church throughout all ages. Amen. And then you come to chapter 4 and verse 1. And Paul then says, Now based upon all of that, verse 1, I urge you then, as a prisoner for the Lord, Based upon everything that I've said in chapters 1 through 3, I now urge you to live a life, it says in verse 1, worthy of the calling that you have received. You say, how can I be worthy of that? Well, it's not worthy in terms of your being valuable enough, but rather it's worthy in the sense of being consistent with the calling that you've received. I urge you now, in view of all that's been done for you and the identity that you now have in Christ, to live your life in such a way that it's consistent with that calling. From verses 1 through 16 of chapter 4, we're told that a life that's consistent with the calling we've received as now members of this marvelous new thing called the church where the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down, a life that's consistent with that is a life that's lived in, in unity. Verses 1 through 16 are a a call to unity among those who have been called out of the world and to God through Jesus Christ. Verses 17 through 24 are a call to holiness. People who are living consistent with the calling that we've received in Jesus Christ are people who strive to live in unity with one another in the church and they live in holiness before God and a watching world. Verse 24 tells us that we are being created, really recreated, in righteousness and holiness by God. Now, what does that holiness look like? And that's what verses 20, 25 and following tell us. In chapter 4 and verse 25 through chapter 5 and verse 4, give us six things that this life, this holy life now, that should characterize those who have come to God through Jesus Christ, six things that that should look like, we've looked at three of those. Those six areas of life show the difference that Christ has made, the new man or new woman that he is making us. Verse 25 says that he's making a new you, a new you that puts on truth. We saw that several weeks ago. Verses 26 and 27 tells us that the new you puts on peace. Verse 28 says the new you that is being remade in the image of Christ puts on generosity. And now today we're going to see in verses 29 and 30, the new you puts on constructive speech. And then the next few weeks, the new you puts on kindness and the new you puts on purity. Now, I remind you briefly that each of these six things that were given in verses, chapter 4, verse 25, to chapter 5 and verse 4, each of those six things has three things in common. They each tell us that holy living is relational. Every one of these things is to be lived out in relationship with other people. The new community that God has created called the church. And so as we've seen, there is no such thing as the Lone Ranger Christian, the isolated Christian. We live these things out in community. They are relational. Secondly, holy living is positive. Each one of these 
states what we should not do or what we should put off, but it doesn't leave it there. It's not enough to just stop doing the things that we should avoid, but rather we are to replace that now, put on positively the things that God requires that emulate His character. Holy living is relational and it is, it's positive. And then thirdly, it's reasonable. In each one of these six commands for, for holy living, there is a reason given for the command, either directly or implied. So today we see that the new you puts on construct, constructive speech. And you have an outline that's been inserted for you in, the pro, in your program, and I encourage you to take a look at it. And we see in verses 29 and 30 that our words affect people. Our words affect people. The ability to communicate by speaking is rooted in our unique creation in the image of God. And I'd like to remind you of that by asking you to hold your finger at Ephesians 4 and turn to the very beginning of your Bible and the very first chapter in your Bible. And let's see together that this ability to communicate is rooted in the fact that we are uniquely created in the image of God. very first chapter of the Bible, giving us God's work in creation, and in the third verse of the Bible, and God said, let there be light. At the very beginning of the Word of God, God reveals something about Himself, and that something is that our God is a God who communicates. God said, let there be light. And then, lest we miss the importance of that, goes on to say in verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse. And in verse 9, and God said, let the water. And verse 14, and God said, let there be lights. And verse 20, and let the water team, God said. And verse 24, and God said, let the land produce living creatures. And then in verse 26, God not only communicates with his creative and powerful word, but then God communicates to God in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God communicates through his powerful creative word, in the original creation, and then God communicates, we see, to God. And let us make man in our image. And verse 27, God created them, man, uniquely. In his own image, in the image of God, he created them. And God blessed them, verse 28, and notice, God not only speaks creation into existence, and God only speaks to God, but now God speaks to the man who's made in his image. And God said, blessed them and said to them. And verse 29, And God said to them, I will give you. So here at the very beginning, very first chapter of the Bible, our God speaks. Our God communicates. And He's made man, humanity, in His image with this very same ability. And so we find Adam finally speaking. 
As God does his creative work, chapter 2 gives us the details of the sixth day of creation, the creation of man. The Bible tells us that God created Adam, verse 7. He breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul. You all know the story then goes on to tell us that God gave Eve to Adam. And here is Adam's response in verse 23 of chapter 2. The man said. God speaks in creation. God speaks to God. God speaks to the, to the man. And now this man made in his image speaks to God. In verse 23, the man said in response to this gift that God had given, and apparently in her presence and thus speaking to her as well, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And so we have been created in God's image, this God who communicates, this God who speaks, and we have been made with the ability to speak to God and to speak to one another. As we're going to see, it's a unique ability that we humans have. But there's someone else who speaks as well. God speaks, and humanity speaks, but someone else speaks. In chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman. And for the first time in history, you have another voice, a foreign voice. Just as an aside, it's a voice coming from a snake. And if you're Adam, you've got to be a bit confused. And perhaps a bit perturbed. Because I thought this was something unique to me, and now this animal is speaking. Setting him, perhaps in a frame of mind that says, and Satan is going to play off of this as we read, he's going to play off the fact that God does not have your best interests at heart. And so the serpent speaks. And the serpent speaks lies. And the woman speaks to the serpent as the dialogue goes on. And from that day forward, there is now introduced a foreign voice. The serpent speaking challenges man's uniqueness and sets man up for the God does not have your best interest at heart deception. And this foreign voice continues to speak those lies into the hearing of the creation that's been made uniquely in God's image. And the Bible says this, we have given heed, each of us, to the voice of the serpent. Instead of hearing the voice of the good shepherd, the Bible says we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And the adversary's tactic is not for us, now hear this friends, is not for us to always or even usually to employ our words in blatant falsehood. Certainly that happens. We saw that back in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4. But that's not his most usual tactic. Rather, it's for us to use our words carelessly, flippantly. And if we get in the habit of treating our words as cheap, we will most certainly at times and even often use our words destructively. 
I will say it again. If we get in the habit of treating our words as cheap, we will most certainly at times and even often use our words destructively. Our words affect people. And the ability to have our words affect others is rooted in the fact that we are uniquely made in the image of God who is our communicating, speaking God. And our words can affect people one of two ways. I have in your outline. Our words can affect people for ill. Verse 29 of Ephesians 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And the word for unwholesome is rotten and rotting. Do not let any rotten and rotting talk come out of your mouths. Jesus says that those words, in fact, all of our words, come out of our hearts. And so that rotting process begins in our hearts until it festers and comes out in destructive ways. Years ago, I used to work a real job. And I worked in the computer field, most of you know that, for a number of years. And I remember reading an article in a management uh, journal. And it was comparing people in an office with bad attitudes. People in the office that have bad attitudes, that's pretty much everybody and comparing them to a mesh or kind of burlap sack, a bag, that's full of rotted fruit. And it smells awful, and there's rotten fermented juice that's seeping from the fruit and through the bag. And over time and from time to time, something can just set the individual off such that, says the article, they are in the office, they're around the water cooler, they're talking to their colleagues, and it's like they're swinging the bag over their head and they're splattering others with their stench. You've all experienced that. I've experienced that. Perhaps we've done that. And that only happens in the workplace. It happens in the church as well. Any place where you find people who talk. This is, this rotten, unwholesome, and rotting speech is speech that injures. It injures either directly or indirectly. It's destructive speech. The Bible has a number of terms that describe this kind of talk. One of them is slander. The word that's used in Scripture for slander means literally to talk down. So when I slander someone, I, I talk them down in some fashion. Sometimes it's talking myself up to make them look bad. But either way, the objective is to cut them down to what I think their size should be, slander. Another word that's used in Scripture is gossip. Using my words in rotten and rotting ways, destructive ways in the form of gossip. And gossip is when I'm speaking about someone when I am neither part of the problem or part of the solution. But I just want to get in on the action with my words. Now from God's standpoint, it is not enough for us to simply avoid the bad 
the negative, the sinful, the destructive. But we must positively speak what is good and constructive. So in verse 28 of chapter 4, we're told that him that stole should steal no longer, but work with his own hands so that he can do something helpful, something useful for others. And in verse 28, that word for useful is the same word for helpful in verse 29. The Greek word behind both is usually translated good. So in verse 28, do good with your hands. And in verse 29, speak good with your mouths. God's not only concerned that we do well. God is concerned that we speak well. And speaking well means, I let no rotten and rotting talk come out of my mouth. But then positively, I speak words that are for the good of others. In your outline, our words can not only affect people for ill, but they can affect people for good. And so verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good, only what is helpful. What's the reason for the purpose of constructing, building up, edifying, building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. God has given us this unique ability as His image bearers to speak. And to speak words that build up, speak words that are good, speak words that are profitable. And with our mouths, we can build people up in truth. What a great privilege. That we can edify, build up, construct people with our mouths by speaking to them truth such that they see God clearly. When we talk to one another, we should be ensuring that we're using our mouths to make sure that people see God clearly. That they see themselves accurately. When we talk to one another, we don't play along with the error that someone is spewing out. We want them to see themselves clearly. Using our mouths as instruments of redemption in the lives of others. We can build others up in truth, seeing God clearly, seeing themselves accurately, and seeing others as God sees them. And so when this person is slandering, and this person is gossiping, we use our mouths as instruments of redemption in their lives so that they see others as God sees them. We can use our mouths to build people up in truth, with our mouths, we can encourage people in faith. Remember what the word faith is in the New Testament? It's belief. We can encourage people in faith by reminding them of what it is we claim to believe. We claim to believe that God is sovereign and that God is faithful. And so we can use our mouths to encourage them to believe God, because of His promises, His faithful promises. We can encourage them to believe God, have faith in God because of His deeds recorded in Scripture, given in history, and in our own lives. With our mouths, we can comfort those in trouble or affliction. I can speak what God has taught me in the 
in the fire of adversity into the life of someone else. I can speak the word of God that speaks of his care, his, his comfort in the midst of affliction from his word into the life of someone else. With our mouths we build up in truth and courage in faith, comfort in trouble. With our mouths we can be used to rescue the lost. Think about that. God lets you use the mouth He gave you to be His ambassador to bring people to Himself. With our mouths, we can speak the good news of the gospel. Out of that 408,800,000 words, how many times do you want your mouth to be used to speak truth, encourage in faith, comfort those in trouble, rescue those that are lost by the good news of the gospel? Verse 29 says, We do what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. One translation says that it will give grace to those who hear. It will benefit them by us communicating, transmitting to them the grace that we have received. Now, it does not mean that our words that build up are always easy words to speak or that they are always easy words to hear. The Bible has a number of commands to us in community to speak to one another in ways that warn and admonish each other. There's a Greek word in your New Testament, nuthateo, and it's translated a number of ways. Instruct, warn, admonish, sometimes translated counsel. And sometimes when you warn and you admonish and you instruct, it's hard to to say and it's hard to hear but it's designed to build up I told my class on Wednesday as we're looking at the character qualities of God in master plan for life we were looking at the love of God and I told my class on Wednesday that many of Many of us think that the most loving thing to do is to never deal with an issue. The most loving thing to do is ignore the issue. Now sometimes that is best. The Bible does say that we can overlook an offense. But it's not usually the case, and it's never the case with a persistent problem. We mistake love covers a multitude of sins to mean love never deals with sin. But that phrase, covers a multitude of sins, is used in other ways. Did you know that? Here's one of them. At the end of James, the book of James, the entire letter of James ends with these two verses. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That is love covering a multitude of sins. 
when you're willing, because you love that person, to say the difficult thing, knowing that it's also difficult to hear. And the Bible uses this word, nuthetao. Let me give you, let me give you a working definition of what that is. The Bible tells us that there are times where we should do this. Here's your working definition. That we should lovingly confront with the truth for the purpose of change. Loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change. Loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change. And this word is used a number of times in Scripture. Romans chapter 15 I myself, my brothers, am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and you are competent to and instruct one another is this word. Some translations translate that in that verse, you are competent to counsel one another. Some of you may be familiar with a well-known book published in 1970 by Jay Adams, the title of which is Competent to Counsel, and it comes from this verse. The Bible says as well, brothers, do these things, warn those who are idle, same word, nuthateo, warn, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And one final verse, it's used a number of times, but in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and nuthateo, admonish one another with all wisdom. Years ago, I was introduced to a phrase that has stuck with me all these years. I heard a preacher talk about the need for the church to, in his words, recover the ministry of confrontation. The ministry of confrontation, ministry serving. Serving others by being willing to confront with truth. The ministry of confrontation. Well, the Bible requires that in warning and in instructing, loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change. But we can do that and we should do that without being confrontational. So we're confronting with the truth, but it doesn't have to be I'm in your face. And it doesn't have, certainly doesn't have to be that I'm better than you. And so therefore the Bible also tells us that our speech can and should always be with grace and seasoned with salt. Notice what Scripture says. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Now note, this confrontation, loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change, using my tongue, the instrument of communication that God has given me for the good of someone else, to build them up, to edify them, to construct them. That may occur when someone is using their tongue in unwholesome ways around you, right? I may have to lovingly confront for the very reason that someone else is using his or her mouth, their tongue, in the forbidden way in verse 29. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, if that's happening, I have a role to play now in helping to correct that. So how do we apply all of this? I've given some, but let me give you a couple of applications of the fact that our words affect people for ill or for good. And I have these in your outline. 
Remember this, friends, that our words are sacred. Words are sacred. The word sacred means set apart. Now, how are our words set apart? How are they sacred? Two ways. One, we're the only ones who can do this. We're set apart. We were made by God specially in His image to communicate through words. We're the only creatures that talk in words. Now, the only creature, we're not the only creatures that communicate. We're the only ones who, who do so by creating our own words. I know your parakeet or your parrot can mimic your words. I know that. The variety of our communication vehicle, words, means that we can be creative in their use and that we can then use those words to communicate either cursing or blessing, use them constructively or destructively. Remember, friends, our words are sacred in the sense that God has given this gift to us uniquely amongst creation, but they're also sacred in that this ability has been given for God's use, for God's purposes. Our mouths, our tongues, our ability to create words, to bless and build up and construct is a purpose that God Almighty has given us. It means that we determine to use our gift of language for the purpose for which it's been given. My tongue, my mouth have been redeemed for new use now. Thanks be to God for His purposes. And I no longer talk now in the same patterns. But rather, I'm being transformed in the way I talk into the purpose for which God has given me this ability. So remember that words are sacred. Secondly, remember that words do this. They reveal our hearts. What does the Bible say about our hearts? Well, they're deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And who can understand it? And Jesus said just very forthrightly, it is out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So, that rot and that rotting communication comes from somewhere. And guess where it comes from, says God. It reveals, exposes our hearts. It means that the heart is active. It's not that my heart is just filled with junk I got from outside of me. To be sure, we've all heard all sorts of junk that's influenced us. But it's not that my heart is passive, empty, and then gets filled up with junk from other people. We want to think that. Many people teach that. It's not what the Bible says. My heart's not an empty vessel just waiting to be filled up and usually filled up by the junk other people give me. <laughs> That's not the way. The heart is active. You come into this world with a full heart, but it's a heart full of all of the manifestations of the sin nature. And unless that is changed from the inside out, then what comes out of you reveals what's in you. And so the Bible says, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. And so this is kind of a taxonomy of how we go from 
our hearts, to our thoughts, our, our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, our actions. Let me give that to you quickly. You know, sometimes we say, look, you need to learn to think before you talk. Or you need to learn to think before you act. The Bible's point is you're always thinking before you talk or act. You're just not thinking right. You may not be thinking correctly, but it's coming out of your heart, and your heart is active. Your heart, in a biblical sense, thinks. And so we do think before we act, but it starts with desires that are in our hearts. And those desires, and if you've been with us for our second hour making peace, you know that those desires can be evil desires. They can be good desires in themselves, but I can want those desires too much and in the absence of receiving those desires, I can react with attitude. Starts in the heart with my desires. It then manifests itself in, in attitude, giving rise to thoughts. And then those thoughts give rise to words. And those words often translate into actions. Hear this. Long before you lost it with your words, you lost it with your thoughts. And long before you lost it with your thoughts, you lost the battle in your heart. That's why some of the best talk you can do and I can do is to ourselves. Yes, I'm advocating talk to yourself. Notice what Psalm 42 says. The psalmist is talking to himself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then the psalmist not just talks to himself, but, himself, but then preaches to himself. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. One of the best things we can do to prepare our thoughts for proper words is to preach the gospel to ourselves in the words of one preacher. Preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Because our tongues are powerful for ill or for good. James says as much. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made, now notice this, who have been made in God's likeness. That tongue you have is uniquely yours because you've been made in God's likeness and now you're using it for purposes unintended by God, for sinful purposes, to tear down destructively those who also have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers, this should not be. Sometimes people will say things like, you know, I do what I do because of what's happened to me in my past. And looking at the baggage that you bring into the present from your past can be a very helpful thing. A very helpful thing. But we've got to be very careful that we don't allow the things that have occurred in our past to become excuses for the present. And so you'll hear people say, I went through and then they'll fill in their life story. So I, then I started self-medicating. That means I started drinking or taking drugs. or so. That's the term. I started self-medicating because... I needed something to mask the pain, the pain that came from the past. I have a pet theory. I've had it for many years. 
that the neuroses that so many people suffer from is often the result, now please hear me carefully, is often the result of training ourselves to think in certain ways such that our brains learn to automatically react in that manner. When we get diagnosed and we require medication, it is often after many years of training ourselves to think in a certain way, and it has affected our brains physically. Now, I'm going to read you a quote about that in just a minute. I just want to remind you, did you know that your brain is not the same thing biblically as your mind? You see, the brain is the gray matter, the physical stuff, the machine. But your mind is the combination of your brain and the spirit, your spirit. And there are spiritual issues at play in how your brain, the gray matter, operates. It's not just physical. I recently read the following. I can learn, or if we can learn to assign new meanings to stressful situations, we can actually avoid the biochemical and hormonal reactions that cause damage to our systems, especially with age. Recent cognitive research shows that our ability to change our attitudes and behaviors manifests neurologically as well. When we react to a person or the memory of a person or event in a negative way over and over and over, it becomes woven into the fabric of our brain's neural network like a well-worn footpath that grows deeper over time. The footpaths are not structural. They're patterns made by electrical and chemical signals that are sent via neurotransmitters to parts of the brain, hundreds of billions of cells or neurons. The neurons get into the, now get this, get into the habit of interacting in certain patterns. But when we change our reactions, no matter how old they are, a neural pathway shift can occur. The signals can change direction. If we can manage to maintain the new positive interpretation of the person or event, this new pathway will win out over the formerly hardwired memory. We may not be able to change what happened, but we can change our feelings about it. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus can change the way you think and therefore change the way you talk. Our words affect people. And lastly and quickly, our words affect God. Verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grieve. God, the Holy Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, has established a special relationship with you if you belong to Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 and verse 13 of Ephesians tells us that we have been sealed by this Holy Spirit, and we are reminded of that in chapter 4 and verse 30. The seal that we belong to God through Jesus Christ is the fact that we have His Spirit. And the Bible refers to the Spirit of God as the Holy Spirit. Does it not follow then <laughs> that the Holy Spirit 
who has established a special relationship with us, is grieved when we act in unholy ways. When we speak in unholy ways. He's grieved that in your speech you are not evidencing that you are His. How do you apply this then? In the day-to-day, give-and-take of your relationships, my relationships, and our talk within them. Remember this. I have in your outline. Remember, God is the most important person in any relationship. You see, the reason you should change your talk is not just because of the effect it has on you and the effect it has on other people. It has all that. (laughs) But because of the effect it has on God. God's the most important person in every relationship. In every relationship, there are at least three persons. You, the other human, and God. And God is always the most important. Now, I'm going to close. But I want you to remember that at the beginning of this message, I quoted Matthew 12, 36, where Jesus said, we will be judged for every careless word that's spoken. 408,800,000. How can I withstand that judgment? How can you withstand that judgment? You don't have, you do not have a shot, do we? We don't have a prayer, do we? You have got to lose the idea, friend, that you are going to stand before God and you're going to convince God that you're good enough. (laughs) You have no earthly idea how many careless words you've spoken. Neither do I. I know I don't have a chance, except through Jesus. Because every one of those careless words has been covered by the blood of Jesus. And how can I stand before a holy God with all of these offenses to my record, more than I could ever count, more than I could ever atone for, only because Jesus' infinite, precious blood has atoned for them on my behalf. And your only hope to stand before God on the last day and your only hope to be transformed in the present day is for you to come to God through Jesus Christ. Now, how do you do that? Realize it's personal. You're a sinner. Recognize you need someone who can do for you what you can't do for yourself. Jesus did that. He lived a perfect life and he died the penalty that you should have paid. And you repent. Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go your way. I'm going to begin thinking your thoughts after you. Thus, my my speech, my actions are transformed. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go your way. And you receive Jesus Christ in your life. How do you do that? You ask. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm hopeless without you. I believe you are my Savior. You died for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Apply the blood of Jesus to me. I give you my life. 